Welcome, welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a world class consulting firm that trains employees in sports psychology secrets that drastically improve work performance. Higher Echelon's founder is Joe Ross, who is a retired Army, who later played and coached at West Point. Uh, we thank Joe Ross and his uh, and Higher Echelon for sponsoring this podcast. Um, the 1995 Army football team is a team that we've talked about often on this podcast, and we're happy today to welcome an important part of that 1995 team, Steve Carpenter, to the podcast. Steve, we appreciate uh, you coming on today. Uh, Steve, Steve, you're on mute. Super, what a great start. I was just saying uh, – Sal and Ed, uh, grateful for the coverage of the Army football programs. Uh, Lord knows you've been doing it for a while, and, and uh, I know that the uh, larger Black Knight Nation appreciates it. Absolutely. You know, like I said, that 1995 team is a team that we talk about a lot. Some people say that that 95 team might have had more talent or was possibly better than the 96 team that won 10 games. And uh, I was I was researching your story a little bit because back then, at that point in 1995, Steve, I live in New Jersey, 45 minutes away from West Point, and I have no idea that West Point is that close where I could have came and watched you guys play at Mikey Stadium. So um, what? first off, we, we usually talk about how – we usually start off about how you got interested in the Army or how you, you became, you know, a West Point cadet, what drew you in, how, how did you end up at West Point, basically? Is there a story to that? Because I know that – your dad is a pretty uh, famous coach in Pennsylvania, uh, uh, college coach in Pennsylvania. So football's always been in your family, right? So I grew up around the game. I was a three-sport athlete in high school. Um, I knew I always wanted to play football in college. Uh, guys like D. Dallas that played for the Air Force Academy that were smaller quarterbacks, they gave me hope, uh, to be honest with you. Doug Flutie, another great example out of Boston College. Uh, my dad actually competed to be the head coach at uh, West Point in 1983 when Jim Young got the job. Wow. And he was one of the final three candidates and stayed up with the superintendent for a weekend. Um, he ended up getting the job for a lot of reasons, um, family reasons. Jim, Jim Young's a phenomenal coach, obviously did wonderful things with the program. Um, but that's when I was introduced to it. Uh, so when I started looking at schools, it was the academy, specifically Air Force and Army at the time. Uh, that were, were running option attacks where a five foot ten quarterback eat. Uh, and they all knew I wanted to go someplace special. Uh, so the military academies obviously stood out. when I talked about it with my dad, uh, I could tell he was proud. And, um, I'll put out there right away. My, my dad was my hero in life. Um, when I was younger, I did everything I could to make him proud. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when I mentioned West Point, you know, I could see that little glimmer of pride in his eye. And then through the recruiting process, and as I did more research, you know, I visited the different academies. Um, yeah, I, I visited Delaware, a smaller school, Connecticut, a smaller school at the time. Um, and then my last trip was West Point. And I remember, uh, you know, the Sunday uh, at the end of my recruiting trip, I, I met with Coach Sutton. It was fairly early in the morning. And uh, I said, hey, Co Coach, I, I think I want to come to West Point. Um, and he shook my hand and he walked me out into the meeting room and the press was there taking pictures. Uh, I was like, wow, Coach Sutton really knows how to close after a great visit. Uh, but my only concern was I hadn't told my dad that I had selected West Point yet. 
but I did shortly after. Um, th those recruiting trips were a little bit different. Remember back in the uh, early 90s, we didn't have the cell phones or the internet connectivity. Yeah. I called my dad from a pay phone and said that I wanted to go to West Point, and he was very proud. Uh, and and I, honestly, uh, it, it's been one of the better decisions of my life, uh, you know, put that up with a uh, you know, not 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 as close to you know choosing the wife that I have is the most phenomenal person in the world. But uh, yeah, I, I was blessed with great parents. I didn't get to choose that. Uh, really, the first choice I made in life was where I got to go to college, and I'm grateful I chose West Point. Yeah, your dad, Gene, right? What is a in the, in the in the College Football Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, he's a, yes, he's in the National College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he was in all Hall of Fames leading up to that. Uh, probably one of my proudest moments was when I got to stand next to him and, and give him his induction speech into the uh, Pennsylvania State Hall of Fame. Uh, my dad was struggling with Alzheimer's at that point in his life, but he stood right next to me. And that was a proud moment. And, uh, you know, just be able to explain to people uh, the sacrifices my mother had made during his uh, last few years of his life uh, was incredibly special. Uh, my dad passed away. And then uh, about six months later, we found out that he was inducted. Uh, into the uh, National Football College Hall of Fame back with back when it was in South Bend. Now it's in Atlanta. Um, obviously, they get a lot more traffic uh, having it in Atlanta versus Notre Dame, where you only get people through it on game weekends. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, after my dad passed away, it was right before Christmas back in 2010. Uh, that induction ceremony was some great closure for my family, just to be able to think about him for a four-day weekend and. I took it extremely seriously. Uh, um, you know, my family enjoyed it. Uh, I stayed dialed in because I knew everything that I was doing there was representing my father. Um, and, and another great thing, uh, one of my dad's close friends, Fisher DeBerry, was inducted the same year. Uh, and, and that was incredibly special. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about, you know, service academy uh, head, head football coaches. Fisher's, I mean, Fisher is Air Force football, right? I mean, it, it, it's incredible. That's an incredible connection you have there. Um, talk about, um, your, your early years at West Point, right? Your freshman year, you were, you were, you, you were backing up Rick Roper as court at quarterback, right? Talk about your early years at West Point on the football field. So, so one of the many reasons that I chose West Point is, uh, they, they were recruiting me as a quarterback. Um, Navy on the other hand, which is right down the road, I grew up in central Pennsylvania. Uh, they recruited me as a defensive back. I probably had a few more accolades as a defensive back in high school because of my size. Um, but, uh, coach Gregory came down to my house on a visit and he brought, uh, he brought game tape and, uh, actually talked me through it be before I even attended and said, Hey, I want you to watch this to kind of explain the base basics of the attack. Uh, after, uh, we had a dinner at my house yeah, and I studied. And again, this is back in the day of the VHS where the rewind's not stopping at the right time, but, but I studied, uh, and, and I was given an opportunity. Um, you know, Mike McCovick was coming back. He was a phenomenal athlete, Rick Roper. Uh, and they brought in uh, like seven or eight freshman quarterbacks. And I, I'm very close friends with all of them still to this day. Um, but they gave me an opportunity to compete. And, and I'll be honest with you, Sal, um, there were a couple games where they, they put me in. And if I had produced winning results, I probably would have uh, uh, been able to become a starting quarterback by the end of the year. Um, I spent a lot of game time. Uh, you know, I earned a letter. Um, I'm really, really proud. Uh, to be a part of that organization. Everyone was really accepting of a young plebe. It's a little bit different when you're playing in a football game. They don't, don't treat you like they do it at, at, uh, at tables during Beast Barracks. Uh, it was an incredible experience. It was a growth experience. And to be honest with you, 
um, you know, if I can be a little vulnerable for a second, it was the first time in my life where I was struggling with the mental game because uh, you're not sleeping very much. Um, it's the first time I really had to work my tail off um, in academics. Uh, you have all the, the military aspects of West Point that are going on. You're a plebe, so you're constantly, you know, getting, uh, you know, I don't want to say haze because that's a taboo word, but you're constantly uh, getting asked uh, different things by, by upperclassmen uh, back in those days. Uh, and then on top of that, to try and become a starting quarterback at a Division One organization uh, with, with very high demands, um, it, it, it was a struggle. But uh, I'll tell you, I grew from it. I grew from it. And then in the spring when I was competing for the starting job, you know, and I blew my knee out. Another thing that seemed like a tragedy at the time, uh, but uh, it was probably one of the better things that happened to me during those formula of years of my life because um, you refocus on others instead of yourself at 18. And I was 18, 19 at the time. You know, we tend to be, you know, a little centrally focused, right? Um, but I learned about, you know, I saw my family support me, my, my very best friends at West Point, their support for me through that process. Guys like Chris Destito in the, in the weight room who, uh, honestly, honestly, during my worst and best times when I was at West Point, he was always there for me. He pushed me. Um, so I was able to come back and, and, and contribute significantly my last two years of college. Yeah. When did the um, I guess you played your junior year, you come back and you play a little bit of quarterback, a little bit of uh, running back. Right. And then talk about the, the junior and senior years and then senior year. Was it predominantly were you a running back or a featured running back or? I was I was moved uh, before the summer to running back, and because uh, the goal for the coaches is to get the best best athletes on the team. And uh, Rick Roper was the returning starter at the time. Mike McCovic and him were both competing, uh, so I started at running back. So the game that I came in in an emergency role was when uh, uh, Mike got hurt against Duke, um, and I was wearing these huge running back shoulder pads because running back West Pointer. They're like small guards, right? You run the ball, block the other 62 plays during a game. Um, uh, you know, they, they gave me an opportunity. I remember there's one point where I didn't get far enough back on a, a, a belly dive and Achille King, who was a legit D1 scholarship athlete, I mean, just clipped me in the head with his shoulder pad and knocked me unconscious. So that was a great wake-up call into back into Division One football as a quarterback. Um but, so I, I, I played a little bit my, my junior year. Uh, Ronnie Makeda, that's kind of the emergence of Ronnie Makeda. Um, I finished the season as a running back, and I'm grateful I was able to stay healthy and start every game as a running back my uh, my senior year. Yeah, I mean, when you when your career spans between Rick Roper and Ronnie Makeda, those are two really uh, you know distinguished quarterbacks on Army. And uh, your senior year, I, I was I was researching you were able to have a I mean pretty a pretty solid senior year where you're the third leading rusher on the team rushed for 340 yards and i'm guessing you're playing slot a slot back role right a wing back role i'm guessing and that's pretty good numbers for a, a, a wing back in army's offense had four touchdowns so what was that senior year like for you just to have that you know just the the, the affirmation to get, get getting back on the field and being able to you know produce on the field for the team yeah, a couple of things about my senior year. Um, first, um, I was able to be part of a group. I wasn't switching meeting rooms, and I knew what I was going to be doing my senior year. The second, uh, the addition of Coach Andre Al to the staff, um, probably one of the most uh, influential um, 
fun coaches that I've ever been around. I mean, we really looked up to him and just would do anything that, that he asked for. And, uh, the, the worst thing that could ever possibly happen would be for him to get disappointed in us. But he really brought us together as a running backs group. Uh, we call ourselves um, the bad backs, actually. Um, and uh, and we, we had a ton of talent. Um, you know, I, I, I bet if you looked at the stats, I, I, I can't remember, that was 25 years ago. But, you know, obviously heavy quarterback, fullback. So, Ronnie Makeda, John Conroy. But after that, I mean, there's Rashad Hodge, Demetrius Perry used to play for uh, John Conroy on occasion, uh, Jeff Brizick, Abel Young, uh, Brad Miller, Bobby Williams, who was a freshman, phenomenal athlete. Um, and we were tight. Uh, and, uh, and, and and we were a very diverse group. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, just a very tight group brought together by a quality leader. And uh, it really made the year special. Yeah, who was your position coach that year? Your coach, coach Andre Powell. Okay, he's okay. with the Pitt Panthers right now. Wow, wow. And he that, lo- loves to fish and he loves jazz. <laughs> That's uh, that I, I was looking at these old uh, bios from the press, uh, from the press, uh, the Army Football uh, Media Guide. You know, and it doesn't list. Uh, it doesn't list. Um, it just says you you majored in American. Uh, American legal system. It doesn't give your hobbies on those uh, old uh, uh, media guide <laughs> profiles, right? So, it, it's it's a different athletic environment now. I mean, I I have to find a VHS recorder if I want to show my kids my Army Navy game my senior year. And uh, Zop asked me to send a photo. I'm like, geez, I have like printed photos of me because remember that's that's back during uh you know the the, the thirty Mike Mike days of uh, the the uh, disposable cameras, but uh. Yeah, different times those days, but uh, it was still a great game. It was obviously a different game. They, you know, the the changes in sports medicine, um, you know, the 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 study of human physiology and how they're preparing athletes through high school and into college, and um, def- definitely a lot of things have been done to the game, protect athletes, which I'm sure are good. But quite frankly, uh, you know, as as uh, someone that played in the mid. Um, there are a lot of great things that happen when guys are able to turn themselves loose a little bit on a football field. Yeah, when you when you have a uh, knee injury like you did in your college career, is that back then? Is the medicine what, what's it like? Is the rehab similar to what we're seeing now, or was it was it any was it any different back then? I mean, were you were you given an amount of time that you were going to come back, or and did you come back before you were supposed to come back, or? Dr. Bob Arciero um, uh, supervised my surgery, and, and he was at the cutting edge of uh, orthopedics back then. Um, probably something that's very common now, but uh, uh, he did the surgery, and, and I had to wait a little bit because uh, I, I had a pretty significant contact injury, which caused me to tear um, every ligament in my right knee and, and uh, some of my meniscus and, and, and uh, soft tissue. Uh, so I had to wait for a lot of swelling to go down, but uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The uh, the strength team there uh, the, at the uh, at the academy, specifically Chris Decito, uh, and the and the medical care that I received through the summer and into the season, uh, I was I was ready to go again about five games in, but uh, uh, they just didn't want to take a chance because I was still playing quarterback at the time. Uh, and, and we had healthy quarterbacks, which wasn't a thing that we normally had at West Point. So I waited till the spring, um, probably was the right move, uh, and was able to play full junior and senior years. 
and you're part of your your senior class is part of a class that never lost to Navy, right? You're you're four and zero in your four and zero in your careers. I mean, I'm sure that's something that you can still brag about, right? Uh, yes, Sal, it is, um, especially during that drought, those drought years. Um, and uh, I, I remember when, especially when I was younger, not so much now because uh, with age comes humility. Uh, I always used to tell uh, folks from the Naval Academy, I'd like, oh, yeah, Army, Navy. Wasn't much of a rivalry when I was in school. Yeah, and then you, and then you see what, what happened for that. What, we're not, did we mention the 14 years straight, right? And now you see the tide turning a little bit with Army and how they've been able to win three Commander-in-Chief's Chiefs trophies in the last four years. So, I mean, it's as a former player, that's got to be, uh, and, and still a member of the U.S. Army, that's got to be, uh, certainly prideful, right? To see that happen. It, it is one, one, the, the development of the student athlete over the years, I talked to you about, you know, sports medicine, strength training, just better coaching technology. Uh, I mean, it's just made the game faster. Um, but I'll tell you the games this year with air force and Navy, that's exactly how it should be. That's exactly how it should be. When we played Navy all four years, I joked around about it not being a rivalry. That's not true at all. The combined difference in scores over four years was five or six points. Uh, I mean, think about that. My senior year, if the defense doesn't make a stop and we don't go 99 yards um, with, with some phenomenal play calling and some phenomenal team and individual efforts, I mean, uh, that game ends 14-13, if you imagine it. Um, but, yeah, great rivalry. I, I would do a lot to get that half yard for Ron Lashinsky at Notre Dame on that version. Um, you know, I, I think in the middle of the year, if, if you don't mind me just throwing in a little extra here to your question, in the middle of the year, we were playing teams tight and trying to win in the fourth quarter. And I remember it was probably Joel and Jim, uh, Joel Davis and Jim Canloop that held a players only meeting. And it's like, guys, we don't have to wait to win it in the fourth quarter. Um, and and I'll, I'll say against Boston College, that is a phenomenal example of that very fine line that exists between confidence, I think what we were, and arrogance, which I think what they were. Uh, so when we came out and it, you know, it was hard hitting, they were bigger than us, but also we started smacking them in the mouth and, and out scheming them, uh, both on offense and defense. Um, the, there, there's a little bit of quit in their eyes and we went into halftime, 42 nothing that game. And I'll never forget walking in underneath the student section, which was not so gracious when we came out or when we went into the tunnel. Uh, after pregame, uh, their tune had changed. I remember they, they were our team because we, we were just, you know, very strong but arrogant Boston College team in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, I mean, you look at that game, I think that to this day, that might be Army's best showing against a, quote, power five school. I mean, I, I, I can't come up with another showing where a power five school was just like uh, at the end, I think just wanted to, to say no Moss, you know, they were, they were probably saying no Moss. And, and um, yeah, that was, I was going to ask you about your, your, your favorite memories as an army football player. Um, maybe that's one of them. Um, I'm sure that there's, there, there might be some in the one, those Navy wins too, but do you have any that come off the top of your head? Just because I've been out of, of the game for 25 years, uh, you know, I don't mean to be cliche, but you, you hear about this, especially in my profession, where we talk about getting the environment right or the culture right. Uh, you know, we always tell people that um, you won't remember the specifics 
of the time that you're with a unit, or in this case, the the, the specifics of, of the, the great times on the team, but you'll always remember how you felt around that team. You remember how you felt in moments. Um, there's, a, there's a great exercise. I, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with Dr. Nate Zinser. He works uh, West Point. Yeah, works with a lot of the athletes. And I don't know if it's his, but he's the one that introduced me to it. Uh, but he called it the great teams exercise. Um, and basically, the, the simple question is, is he asked human beings to think about the greatest organization, the greatest team, the greatest group of people they've ever been a part of, and just make a list of words that describe that, that team or organization. So people write down five to seven words, and, and normally you'll ask them, hey, circle the, the, the most important word on there. And, um, I've actually used that question every time I've taken a formation from a platoon uh, to the largest field artillery brigade in the United States Army. Um, and probably across 10 to 12,000 human beings, all from different backgrounds. Uh, the words that I usually get are, you know, loyal, trustworthy, honorable, confident, positive, disciplined, selfless, compassionate, uh, brotherly, sisterly love comes up a lot. Um, and what's what's great about those words, usually you let, you let the audience come to this conclusion, um, they all focused on environment or climate. Uh, not once, not a single person, not in the 25 years that I've been utilizing that, that ice for units I've done. I've never had someone say it was the greatest organization I was ever a part of because um, they beat Boston College for, by 42 points. So they ran for the most yards. So they scored the most touchdowns. So they you know, won the most championships. They beat Navy four times. Uh, which are all oriented towards uh, performance. 100% of the time, when I ask people to describe the greatest team or organization they're a part of, um, they mention terms uh, that focus on attitude and on climate and on an environment. So I would hate to just point to one moment because I'd be leaving somebody at, but when I think about my class, when I think about the teams I've been on, and that includes you know freshman, sophomore, junior, uh, you know my senior year, that includes when I was a plebe uh, sophomore, um, or I guess plebe yearling cow, sorry, West Point terminology, uh, the folks that kind of brought me in and made me feel like I was part of a, an important organization. Um, I, I can remember how I feel, and I just feel that sense of, you know, you hear it all the time, it's cliche, but it's true, that brotherhood, and it's special, specifically because you're going out there and you're going to serve in combat environments at plebe. Yeah, I'm sure there's. Um, I'm sure you still have close bonds with many of your your classmates, right? I mean, he's, we're, we're talking 25 years ago. I mean, those bonds do not do not end after graduation, no doubt, because some of those guys you're going to see in your military service, and that's what makes um, being a part of the Army football program and graduating from West Point so special, right? It is. I mean, they're all phenomenal leaders. Um, some of them are still in the military. Some decided to go do, uh, do something else, but they're all phenomenal leaders within their communities. Um, you know, I, I can point across Army athletic programs and our most senior leaders um, in, in the Army right now are, are, are a lot of more West Point athletes, I mean, a large number. Um, and many of them you would have never guessed would have stayed in past five years. But I think what they saw is when you come into an organization like the Army, uh, the, sa the same uh, um, adrenaline rush, that same enthusiasm, that same felt on the sideline when things are going right or after a great victory, you can get in the Army. Um, and, and again, 
the same truisms apply is, you know, uh, people rally around great leaders. Um, and, uh, and I think West Point turns out a phenomenal product. Now, we were talking before we went on, uh, we started live, and we were talking about you're wearing the number one jersey, right? It was your number at West Point. And now when the new jerseys come out for the, uh, the special jerseys come out for the Army-Navy game, and usually the number one is available. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, you have the big red one on right now, right? I, I do. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and you even said that you, you bought um, a jersey for, for, for your son, too. I mean, what what's what's that like seeing every year? Just the kind of the – of course, the jerseys are also uh, recognizing a particular unit in the Army, too, uh, which I think makes it even more special. So. So, so my son right now, he had school pictures today. He's wearing the, uh, the, the first cavalry division Jersey, um, that I have. And, you know, he didn't want to take it off. So I put this on, but I thought this would be a good selection. My, my, uh, my last boss, the direct, uh, deputy director for regional operations, who just uh, went to take command of the big red one in Fort Riley, Kansas, the first infantry division. Um, I, I figured I'd throw this on because, uh, you've never met human being, although I'm sure many exist. But I've never met a human being that was more of an Army sports fan than he is. Um, and, uh, you know, he wore it on his sleeve. And, and that's tough when you're in a joint environment in the Pentagon where you're dealing with uh, Air Force and, and, and Navy, Naval Academy graduates. Um, but uh, I figured, hey, if my son's going to wear my first Calvary Division uh, jersey for school pictures, uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw on the big red one and, and just uh, give a shout out to uh, uh, Major General uh, Sims, their first infantry division. Nice. I mean, just my particular opinion, the 10th Mountain Divisions were maybe because the environment the game was played in the snow were my favorites. Is the Big Red Run your favorite so far? Or? I like the ones that we win. Uh, okay. I, I don't want to pick, and here, here's why. I, I've served in multiple divisions. They're all phenomenal, and they all have wonderful histories. That's why they still exist. Um, you know, I I, I, I was proud that, that my son selected the first cavalry division to wear for, you know, he thought he, he, he liked that Jersey. So he threw it on. Um, I was a part of that organization before. I hope to be a part of that organization in the future if I have an opportunity, uh, but I'd be just as proud to be in 25th infantry division, 101st, 82nd, first infantry division, third infantry division, first armored division, um, 10th mountain division, as you mentioned. And that was a phenomenal game, but, uh, uh, there are great leaders and great human beings, great soldiers, uh, men and women in all of those organizations. Does your son play football? So he's in kindergarten. Oh, um, my fault. My fault. I should know his age first. So my yeah, so he doesn't play organized football, but but he loves to he loves to throw the ball with his dad. And and you know, on, honestly, at that age, I just try and get him focused on keeping his hands away from his body, um, and then holding the ball correctly. Don't hold it like a loaf of bread. Um, but, for, but for some reason, he, he likes when I, when, when, uh, when, when I tackle him and he likes to tackle his older sisters. So um, if he, you know, I'm not going to pressure him into it, but uh, I plan to expose him to it. And that'd be great if he played football and he grew up. It's in the family, right, Steve? It's in the family. So I like to think it's in the blood. And, and, and another thing, it's in the blood, if I can be honest uh, and brag on my brothers a little bit. My dad was, a, a, you know, he, he grew up in, a, in an area that uh, a lot of World War II vets and, uh, um, my, my dad ended up going and serving the Marine Corps because for him, they didn't have a lot of money growing up. That, that was a way out. And uh, he always says that those years in the Marine Corps, um, both uh, Paris Island and then serving in Okinawa were formula years for him. 
um, his sons, uh, you know, one of them graduated from Dartmouth, but ended up going in the Navy as a doctor. And the other went to Westchester University, who was, which is his arch rival, the school he coached at. I could have never done that. Um, but he ended up going in the Marine Corps. Um, and, uh, and his, and, uh, my parents, two daughters, Jody and Chloe, teacher and one's a, uh, um, one's a nurse or a neonatal, uh, practitioner. Um, so all service professions. So, uh, I, I don't know if football's in the blood, but service definitely is. Um, and, and, and I'm proud of all my kids because, uh, uh, I, I like to say that my dad and my mom were the first generation of excellence in their family. They were the first ones that really had the opportunity to, to put them th- through, uh, 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 post high school education and, and to, uh, um, you know, go on, you know, my dad ended up become, you know, getting a doctoral degree. I joke cause it's a doctoral degree in gym. It's physical education. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to be a hall of famer, you, you know, you don't do that by yourself. You do that when you have a great, a great, uh, spouse. And, and my mom was not only a phenomenal mother to five great kids, but, uh, if I can call myself a great kid as well. Um, but also, uh, you know, supported him. And again, even during his darkest days, his last few years, uh, when he was, he was battling Alzheimer's and some other illnesses. Um, so again, that's just a, a quick, quick family shout out and background. Absolutely. Um, I, we, I was going to ask you about, you know, life after West Point, you touched on it a lot about the transition from, you know, cadet to, uh, to army officer. And, um, you know, you look at right now, um, army has seniors, obviously, um, on their football team and they're, and, you know, you have this, the first D's and the core and just, you know, what that transition is like, because obviously it doesn't happen overnight. I know there's training that, you know, there's bullock training that follows, but what, can you give any advice to those, to those guys um, and girls who will be graduating soon about how to handle that transition over to, you know, from, from a cadet to a, an army officer? Well, I would say you don't need to come into the Army as a second lieutenant and know everything right away, um, because uh, in most cases, you're going to be surrounded by great people. Um, but if I could point out a, a, a major difference between the private sector uh, and, and the military, um, in this case, the Army, um, you know, I would say that uh, the sacrifice and the rewards that come are different for each, um, and you you saw when when the account, economy you know downturns and you have unemployment. Um, often in the uh, civilian world, uh, you have CEOs that make a lot of money, and they are rewarded often by sacrificing their people, laying off ten thousand, saving fifty million, etc. Um, if you've ever read a Medal of Honor recipient's uh, citation, and I'm sure at West Point they have. Um, it's reversed in the military. In the military, people are rewarded for sacrificing of themselves for others. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be extreme situations like a lot of our Medal of Honor recipients have seen, but it's just understanding that your job is to love your soldiers unconditionally. Now, when I say love, you know, I'll use Jim Hunter. He wrote Servant Leadership. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, phenomenal human being. but. Um, love in the army is not being in love with your soldiers or um, a lot of times you hear like likership versus leadership. It's simply understanding that your job is to sacrifice of yourself to provide for their legitimate needs. And in our business, you know, as a second lieutenant, that normally means training platoons. So that means 
ensuring that human beings can function in a combat environment, right? Doing what it takes so they can physically, mentally, emotionally survive in that type of environment. Uh, but it also means for those with families, because as a, as a young second lieutenant, 21, 22 years old, never, maybe never even had a serious relationship in their life, uh, to understand that it's also their responsibility to ensure that those families know how to function inside a military environment, right? Because let me tell you this, if the family is proud of the organization that soldiers are part of, you're going to get a better product. That's the secret, right? It's, shouldn't be a secret. But if, you, if that family is proud of that soldier and proud of the organization they're a part of, uh, they respect the leadership and know that you're willing to sacrifice yourself for, for their, their husband or wife, you're going to get a better product at work. Um, all that being said, think about those 11 guys in the huddle, 11 guys in the huddle with a singular objective. Okay. Everybody performing their role, right? Eddie Stover, Joel Davis never touched the football unless they fell on a fumble, right? But they perform their, their role effortlessly, seamlessly, selflessly, right? Just as the quarterback, just as the fullback, uh, in the offense, um, but those same principles, those same leadership principles, that's what's going to make you successful as a second lieutenant. Um, and again, if, if you're not an athlete at West Point, right, um, you're, you know, you're, you belong to the church choir, the same things that allow you to function in that environment, right, those team building skills, um, it, it's going to help you um, when you when you go out in the military and, and, uh, and just take every opportunity to learn and be out there with your soldiers. That'd be my best advice. Yeah, anytime I talk to um, you know Army football grads about um, now moving on to being an Army officer, they always talk about the lessons that they learned on the football field, helping them out being an, an Army officer, just that team environment, just that brotherhood environment that has uh, helped them through sometimes there. Because, I mean, you know, like you said, when you're in the, you're in the military, I was going to ask you about maybe what, what might have been your proudest military m moment so far. But I mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty sometimes when you're in certain situations. So you you need that you know confidence that you can get through um, what you're what you're put into. I'm guessing. I don't know if I could point to a singular moment. I I could probably give examples. Mm -hmm. uh, but my favorite thing to do in the military, I mean, the, the army and 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 combat operations, military operations, it's complex. Um, you know, having a family life while you're in the military, you know, it, it is a challenge, complex. But my favorite thing to do, my wife, Caitlin, our favorite thing to do uh, is to put the human beings around us and their families in a position to achieve their their, their personal and professional goals. Um, and what's nice is versus when I was a second lieutenant, um, you know, as, as a colonel now, I'm in a position uh, where, where I can I can mentor and coach, uh, you know, soldiers and families. Uh, so that they can achieve their goals and often make a phone call to to another leader more senior to me uh, to help them be where they need to be to become the absolute best version of themselves uh, and that's good for the army and and, and it's uh, it's good for the family yeah I, I know i've talked to steve anderson uh often he's a he's a co-host here on the podcast he to your captain for the army football team and he talks about like just the communities and where he's in, where he's at and just being able to connect with it might be a former classmate, a former army football player. And when you even get those, when there is some, when there is some downtime and he's not training and he can get those teammates together, just have that camaraderie, right? That, that camaraderie. And just, you can talk about 
maybe you're not talking about training. Maybe you're talking your days at West Point. Maybe you're just talking about, you know, what's going on in the news or what you're watching on Netflix or something like that. You know, but just that camaraderie is, is, is always going to be there in the army. And I think that that's a, that, that's, that's a, that's a really uh, important point. I thought. I'm hopeful that, you know, the digital nature by which we communicate, you know, as we sit there doing this, you know, the, the COVID environment that we've seen over the last year, you know, I hope it doesn't have lasting impacts. And I, I don't think it will in our organization because, quite frankly, it can't. Um, a leader I admire, you know, uh, tremendously that's an advocate for me in, in the Army, uh, uh, General Funk, who's leading our training and doctrine command. He, uh, he, he has rules that he tells people, and some of them are really serious and some of them are more lighthearted. But my favorite is uh, his 25th rule, and it's that uh, the Army is a people business. And I remember in AAR, I used that and we're after Warfighter that we had that was very successful. Um, that's a simulated combat environment that we do behind um, fences. Um, but I said, you know, the Army uh, is, is a people business and it's the ultimate team sport. Um, it's it's his saying. That's, that's my add-on to it. Um, but the Army is definitely a performance business. It may be the ultimate performance business, the military as a whole. Um, and, and I'm not saying, you know, I mentioned before, you know, the culture, the environment, uh, I'm not saying that that's the only thing, because we have to be good at our jobs. We need to be, you know, technically sufficient. But, you know, I, I just think when you focus on the army as a people, get the environment, the culture right, you're going to get better results. It's just a fact. Um, you know, I think it's crazy sometimes where some of these authors that write leadership books, I mean, uh, I mean, it's redundant now. You can read about everything. I definitely have some that I, that, that I like, but um, they'll stand in front of corporations and they'll be like, ladies and gentlemen, if you treat your employees with respect, you will get better performance out of them. And they're, they're writing it down. They're writing it down. Like that's some bold and fresh thing that, hey, if we treat people with dignity and respect, we're somehow going to get better performance. Of course you will. Hopefully you, you learn that in adolescence. Uh, but I'll also tell you our job in the Army, because not, not every soldier that comes in, not every leader that comes in is going to come from a, you know, a, a, a great family background. You know, I, I think uh, you know, these days they say probably about 70 percent of families have some level of dysfunction. Right. So if they're not getting get great coaching when they're coming in the Army, I know they're being introduced to great coaching and their or basic combat training. Uh, and then it's our job to foster that and continue to give them great coaching so they can become one great soldiers, uh, two great husbands, wives, um, and then ultimately phenomenal human beings and citizens uh, and, and making a larger impact on our society. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, it was just um, just talking about your military career. Um, what do you think is what's next for you? I mean, what, what do you think is next for you on, on the horizon there? I, I will go where the army sends me. Uh, I'm still loving what I'm doing. Um, you know, my, my assignment isn't finalized yet. Uh, yeah, I may be able to call you here in a, in a week or two and, and know, but, uh, one thing I am very happy to report is I will be back around soldiers so I can make this powerful personal and hopefully permanent impacts on soldiers and their families. Um, but, uh, but, but I'll have, I, I have had since, uh, you know, I, I met my wife, uh, we'll have our 20th anniversary this year. Um, you know, ever since we decided we were going to be married, I, I've always had kind of three criteria that I advise people on. And it's uh, I'm proud of what I'm doing. 
that that's important that you're in a good environment. You're proud to be in that environment. You're proud to be on that team because it impacts how you are at home. Uh, my family is proud of what I'm doing. Um, I'm at a unique p- period in my life uh, where all my children understand what I do and are proud. Um, that is an awesome place to be in a profession. Uh, and then the last one is, does this adversely affect my family life? Uh, and constantly having that dialogue with with my wife, with my oldest daughter, um, uh, who's going to be a, a junior in high school next year. You know, after you know, we're going to move, and she's going to be a junior in high school. Um, but I have kindergarten through sophomore right now, um, and and just observing them. And is this military lifestyle? Is the fact that dad is away on occasion is that adversely affecting them? Uh, that'll be my time. But. But right now, uh, Caitlin and I think that our family has a lot more to give, and uh, we can continue to make powerful impacts on on the you know on soldiers, their families, and uh, and make a positive difference in the army. Hey, we hey Steve, I really appreciate the time. We missed you on the 1995 reunion show, the 1990 football team reunion show, and I tell you, Ed Stover was the life of the party on that reunion show. I tell you that much. So he popped in a little late, but man, he he certainly brought it. Uh, Brought it on the reunion show. Got to do one of those again soon because that 1995 team, there's so many stories to tell and uh, that were documented in the Civil War by John Feinstein. And, you know, it's just, it's just a pleasure to have you on for you to talk about not only your Army football career, but also military life and what that could be like for the future Army players, uh, current and future Army players at West Point. So we, we appreciate your time. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, this has been a phenomenal experience. Um, you, you know, you know, Sal, when uh, I, I missed the 25th reunion, and again, I would have participated. I just couldn't get, I couldn't get to a device. Um, but uh, you know, I, I really want to to come and talk with you again. I'm, I'm grateful for everything that you do for for West Point, West Point Athletics, and for all the years you've been doing it. And uh, um, I mean, I don't need to say it, but I love every one of my brothers that not only played football, but, you know, graduated in the class of 96. And uh, it's an incredible bond. Um, you know, West Point is a phenomenal experience. After, by the time you go home at Christmas, you probably achieve more maturity than a lot of your your peers from high school do. But by the time they graduate from college. Um, but uh, it, it's, it was a great decision for me. I, I love the institution. I was kind of hoping while I was up here in the D.C. area to be able to take my uh, my kids and, and, and Caitlin there more often. But you know, understand because of COVID, we want to protect the core and, uh, you know, obviously do the right thing in terms of that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful. Um, you know, I'm grateful every day. And and, uh, and again, uh, uh, thanks to you. And, uh, you know, I appreciate uh, Ed putting this thing together for us. Absolutely. Uh, anybody who's listening or, or watching right now, you can. Uh, we're on the major podcast platforms uh, from Apple to Amazon to uh, just you name it. We're on it. Spotify. You can listen to this uh, interview, great interview with Steve Carpenter. Steve, it's been a pleasure and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Sal.